Hey Phil, what you playing there? It's Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest, dude. I just picked it up from Kmart. Really? Totally bodacious. So what you doing now? Well, for one, I can talk to people. This is like Final Fantasy with a whip mic, dude. However, unlike Final Fantasy, some of these guys lie to you. Heck, I think they all lie to you, but that's half the fun, man. Well, at least you get to use a whip. You know, whipping people is the most triumphant thing you can do in a game. That's what made the first one such a killer, awesome experience. Whoa, that place looks pretty big. How do you know where to go next? Well, dude, I'm glad you asked. You just wander around and try everything. And if that doesn't work, you try it again but walk backwards. And if that doesn't work, you just start standing for minutes at a time in different spots. Sooner or later, you find the next castle, dude. Wow! You get to fight totally gnarly end bosses that kick your posterior over and over again? You know how many times it took to beat bosses in the first one? Well, guess what? This one's a total chill pill, dude. You just get to the end of each castle and take what you need. There's no bogus bosses to raise your blood pressures, Mike, my buddy bud. Really? Nice. But, dude, where's the challenge? I'm so glad you asked. You see, the floors themselves are the biggest challenge here, my good gaming bud. You gotta keep throwing holy water all over the place, otherwise you'll fall down a totally heinous hole that looks exactly like a floor. Only with the power of the holy water can you hope to uncover the darkest plots of hidden holes of death. What's happening now? What a horrible night to have a curse. Oh man, it's turned to night. This is different than the first games. Things just get positively scary at night. Oh, look at that, saying something else. Let me read this, dude. Live from the internet, it's RPG Backtrack. Today, Mike talks to us about Madao Monogatari 1 after we discuss the beginning of the Belmont's foray into RPG mechanics. Dracula isn't the only thing being resurrected, as RP Gamer brings back your favorite show about RPGs from yesteryear. So grab a Dr. Pepper and some popcorn, you're listening to RPG Backtrack! Welcome everybody to episode number 11 of RPG Backtrack, The Rebirth. My name is Phil and I'm here with my other friend, Mr. Mike. We're the host. How are you doing today, Mike? Perfectly adequate without being exceptional in any way. That <laughs> sounds fun and exciting. And we also have a special guest with us today, Mr. Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, awesome. And hopefully if, uh, if we're real lucky, somebody else will come by and visit us later on today. We'll see how it works out as we, we go through the podcast. Um, yeah, this is the, the RPG Backtrack Rebirth for those of you who haven't checked it out before. If you go to rpgamer.com, on the left side, there's a link for RPG Backtrack. And back in uh, 2000, August 2008, um, some of our staff members started uh, doing episodes of, uh, of a podcast, basically going over some of the RPGs from yesteryear. And that ran for about a year or so. They did 10 complete episodes. And it's been offline for a while. So uh, Mike and I were sitting around the coffee table one day, drinking the, the cup of joe. And Mike, what exactly inspired you to bring up this idea anyway? I think it was me bringing up yet another random old game that nobody around here had played. And you thinking, gosh, why don't we talk to people about that? Because it would be incredibly awesome to have me talk about Games no one else has played for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, um, 
um, that's that's you know that's 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 what we do a lot of times at RP Gamer and the staff channels and stuff. We sit around, we talk about uh, old games and and our our what we enjoyed out of them. And, and one of the things that I was thinking when you and I were talking about games is so, sometimes with with all of the great RPGs that are out there, and, and they really do come out quickly. And this this March is just another example of that. There's so much coming out. It's it's coming out so quickly that a lot of times we miss some of the really good games. Even even the staff members here at RP Gamer, we miss some of the really great things um, that uh, that are coming out on the market. They just they just shoot out so fast. So sometimes it's nice to uh, to to be reminded what what came out even just a few years ago as well as the stuff that came out a few decades ago that we might have missed the first time around and hear other people uh, talk about it. And uh, it maybe remind us that we need to go back and maybe pick those up. They're probably on sale now, anyways. I'm almost never playing a new game. I'm always playing an old game. I've been finding I've been finding myself doing a lot of that lately as well. Been spending a lot more time with the older games than the new games, and I'm not a hundred percent sure why that is. Is it just the fact that old games are really that much better, or is it because the new games are so expensive? Why Why do you think we do that? Well, if you look at RPGs, I mean. Most people's favorites are from, you know, Super Nintendo, PlayStation 1 era. If you look at newer RPGs, new, you know, Last Remnant, Star Ocean, they just don't reach the same level of quality for some reason, you know, overall. So, I don't know. It's The older ones are just more fun, I think. They're a lot longer, deeper. More to them, better battle systems, stuff like that. What do you think, Mike? I think that's a part of it. I think also nostalgia is at play here. Especially when you start factoring in games that you haven't played in a long time that you'll remember very fondly. Um, as for new games, well, they're expensive. That's that's the bottom line. That's true. Do I want to pay? Do I want to pay? Uh, what is a new 360 game? Sixty bucks? Yeah. Or do I want to hunt around on say the virtual console for an eight dollars Super Nintendo game that will probably be just as fun? Well. Let's not get into that. Let's just say that you can have just as good a time with a good game for eight bucks as you can for a new game for sixty bucks. And maybe if you have hundreds of dollars lying around, then go for it. Play nothing but new stuff. If you don't, then check out the old stuff, and you just might be happily surprised. That's very true. Um, I remember. I mean, just as a prime example, and not that it's necessarily an RPG, but you do get to make some choices. Uh, Infamous came out for the PS3 in May for sixty dollars, and at the time, um, I didn't have a spare sixty dollars to go and plop down that game. I'd already bought too many games uh, around that time or whatnot, so it kind of flew right by my radar. And then uh, today, uh, a friend of mine mentioned something about it, and I went and looked on Amazon, and I found it for twenty-five bucks. That I can afford. And I'll just have just as much fun with it now as I would have had it got it when it came out new, but it costs a lot less. But yeah, there's a lot of great games on the Virtual Console for eight dollars. There's a lot of great PlayStation uh, One and especially two RPGs are just all over uh, the the collector's bin. And now that they've been out for a few years, um, 
hopefully what we we aim to do here uh, on RPG Backtrack is share is is for those of us who did go out between our whole panel staff members uh, for any particular game. There's usually a couple of us who've played it. So uh, as we talk through some of these games, we're we're going to talk about um, how we enjoyed them and how well we think they held up today. And if it sounds like something that you, our audience, are listed uh, are interested in, chances are you're going to be able to find uh, those games in the bargain bin at EB Games or on Half.com or eBay uh, for a, a very good price and probably get just as much enjoyment, if if not a little bit more so, <laughs> than some of the newer chances games that are costing more. Chances are. It's not a guarantee. Some games, unfortunately, appreciate in price instead of depreciate. Yeah, especially if, they, if they're from Atlas, huh? <laughs> and they're like limited edition. Or on the Sega Saturn. <laughs> That's true. Yes, Saturn and... It, well... You you try pl- emulating a Saturn and see how far you get. It's not easy. No, no, it's not. Saturn has like every game that I want that I'll probably never have. Every RPG. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got them all. I think. I, well, yeah, you'll give them to me someday. It's, it's, Somehow I'll get them to give you get you to give them to me. Yes, you'll use your famed long distance hypnosis powers and. There will be low a package in the mail with Dragon Force and Shining Force Three and Guardian Heroes and many other wonderful things in it. No, I'll just come to your house probably and sneak in like a ninja, take them. That's my plan. Yeah, you could do that too. That requires anyway. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, and and I will say also for. Um, I, I, I will say that you know there are definitely elements of the newer RPGs like Fallout Three and Mass Effect Two, such as the incredible stories uh, and the voice acting and the, and the graphical, um, the gra- how good the graphics are these days that are absolutely impressive. But uh, you know one thing about some of those newer RPGs is that they're trying to reach out to a broader audience. So one of the things that they're doing in order to do that is they're putting a lot more um, first-person elements into it and trying to make the gameplay a bit faster. Uh, Dragon Age is certainly the exception with its more traditional uh, party-style pausable uh, combat. But um, I'm seeing a lot more of the first-person elements, which personally, I I personally am not a huge fan of. I'd rather go back and play something a little bit more traditional myself. And even if you look at Dragon Age... um it sort of has a simpler interface than Baldur's Gate, mm. you know, which it is a spiritual sequel to. It sort of combines the WoW interface, the World of Warcraft interface, with the Baldur's Gate-style combat. So even there, you can see how they were going for a broader audience, at least in my opinion. Maybe they were just you know trying a different combat system. But I think, um, personally, that they were trying to you know, reach uh, a more audi- an audience that you know, probably wouldn't have handled the Baldur's Gate more... Uh, complicated battle system and and you know i think that's good if that's what gets them more game sales they're a business and and whatnot i think that's awesome at the end of the day and and there's a lot of other things that i like about that title which which draw me to it but sometimes i just want something that's you know that that lets me nerd out that let, lets me uh really get into some hardcore rp rpg which for me is more about the combat and the number crunching and the detailed inventorying and stuff like that so um, it's nice to talk about these old games and to go back and revisit them and stuff because sometimes they have those elements that are just too old school, I guess, for for uh, for I guess gamers these days or some gamers, anyways. Um, so that's kind of an overview. What you're going to hear at RPG, what you're going to hear at RPG Backtrack, we're going to do a good mix of what we consider um, 
some of the yesteryear titles, those titles that uh, come from the last era of gaming, uh, basically your PlayStation 2 games and your Xbox games, your uh, your uh, PC games between those years of around 2000 uh, and one up to about 2007 or 8. Um, and you're going to get a mix of those and we're going to, uh, with a good mix of what we consider the legacy titles, those games from uh, a decade or two ago. Uh, we'll also be talking, we'll also be uh, doing shows about series of games. Like today, we're going to be talking about Castlevania and it's the first of a three part series. Um, about the Castlevania or what we call the Metroidvania line of games, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So, live for that because Konami made so blasted many of them. I know, I know. Oh my gosh, yeah. So we got definitely got a lot to talk about there. Um, we'll also uh, we all, one of the features of our shows. We'll also be doing uh, Mike's Import Corner, where Mike will talk to us about some of his. Well, tell us about your Import Corner, Mike. Let me let you talk about that. Well, I'm. Apparently the only one on RPG staff, uh, well, except for Gaijin Monogatari, and he doesn't count because he actually lives in Japan, who plays imports a lot. And why I did that in the first place, I don't really remember. I just remember thinking, gosh, I hear about all these good games, and I own the system for them, and so what if I can't read it? I can still play it. And for the most part, that works. Sometimes it doesn't, and I have to consult a fact because... Let's face it, my Japanese skills are not that good even after playing dozens of games in that language. <laughs> but it's been a good... Uh, going on nine years, I think, since I first picked up an import and played it, and I like them. For me, it's a little more complicated to play an import, but it doesn't really bother me not to understand the plot. And I'm sure that one of the things you'll you'll help talk us through um, as you're talking about some of these games in your import quarter. Maybe you can tell us uh, some of the secrets. I know with, with some of the consoles, uh, you don't need to do anything special to play some of these imports other than buy the import game, but I know with other ones, uh, it might require a little bit more work as far as modding or something. Well, if anything cartridge-based, it's very, very easy to get an import to play. Anything disc-based gets a lot more complicated. Ah, well, that's easy to remember. We'll also have opportunities in the show for uh, Q's and A's. Uh, RP Gamer has a very robust uh, forum, and, and there'll be a thread on each show where uh, you can comment on the shows that are going up and ask us uh, questions for uh, that we'll go ahead and play and answer on the future podcast. And we also like to throw in a contest every now and then. We'll be doing one at the end of this show, so make sure you listen through, and you might win yourself a, a special prize, which we'll talk about later on. So, Ooh. yeah, woohoo! <laughs> free, free elite loot. Who Everyone loves Leet Loot. I'm going to have to sign up for the forums under an assumed name. <laughs> well, am I supposed to put out that little disclaimer? Uh, staff members of RP Gamer are not eligible for participation in contest. But we only get paid a penny a day. You get a penny? I don't get a penny. Where did you get a penny? I want my penny. I wasn't supposed to say that, I don't think. Oh, man, I want a penny. Uh, I, I guess we have to officially unhear what we just heard, so... What did you say, Tom? I can't remember. Uh, I didn't say anything. Okay, that's ah, fine. All right. Huh, I, yeah. thought I, said, I said something for a second there. <laughs> nope. Oh. I do not get a penny a day. There you go. Well, one of the things that we, um, uh, Mike, uh, Mike, and myself, we're we're the permanent hosts of the the show. You're going to pretty much hear us on just about every one of these uh, episodes here of RPG Backtrack. Um, but we'd also like to, as as we. Um, as we bring guests, which we're going to 
be, for the most part, staff members from RP Gamer that have experience with the games that we're talking about, uh, as well as maybe some uh, guests from outside uh, the staff member list. Um, we like to take a little bit of time to get to know them and, and whatnot. So uh, our first guest today, Mr. Tom, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Tom, to the audience. Uh, let them know who you are, what you do at RP Gamer, uh, give us a little bit of your history and, and what, what you look for in an RPG. Okay, well, I was uh, started as an intern for RP Gamer. Technically, I don't know if I might have been the first intern or whatever, but I don't. Technically, everyone's an intern. I think. I think so. (laughs) Um, But I wrote news, and I did lots of news and some reviews, and I still do, you know, reviews when I can of you know random, you know, cruddy games. I'm doing Monster. I just wrote a Monster Hunter Freedom Unite review, and I don't know. I do random stuff. I try to try to help out. And um, I also write um, sarcastic and misunderstood news on another gaming site, but I'll keep that a secret for now. (laughs) Um, My gaming history, I've been playing games for a very, very long time, my entire life. Uh, Probably got hooked on RPGs through uh, Final Fantasy Legend on the Game Boy, Uh, all three of them. They were probably some of my favorite games of all time from a nostalgia point of view. Probably if I went back and played them now, I probably wouldn't like them as much. And then once um, Final Fantasy 2 and 3 came out, uh, particularly 3, uh, pretty much that game when it came out uh, pretty much blew me away. And, you know, I was hooked on RPGs pretty much forever. So 3 three is probably one of my favorite RPGs, Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then after that, probably my, my next favorite, or I don't know, Another favorite is also the Baldur's Gate series, definitely. So, those are t- I like all types of games, all types of RPGs. I'll play any type of game. Um, I like, you know, really hardcore tactical strategy, um, you know, lighter action games, anything. But mostly mostly things, uh, RPGs that make you think a little deeper, more tactical type systems, I like a lot. So, So, would you say that the element of the RPG that's the most important to you is the combat system then? Um, I would say it's definitely um, one of the most important. Yeah, like, I don't want... I mean, Dragon Quest, you can kind of forgive it because it, it's meant it's meant to be sort of simpler. Um, but yeah, I definitely like more than just hit fight and uh, over and over. That's, yeah, that's my. Those are my 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 favorite things to rant on occasionally about some of the uh, traditional RPGs where you know our battle systems where really you're you just need to keep pressing hit and fight over and over again and it gets you through the majority of the the battles. But you know it's funny, like you said, I I tend to forgive that with Dragon Warrior games for for some reason more than more than any other title. Yeah, I mean. Um... The the times that it gets really annoying is when battles move slowly. Dragon Quest, I think you can forgive it, and uh, or it can be forgiven, is because um, the battles move so quickly. Like you you can get in and out of a battle really very very uh, quickly, as opposed to like I just started Crimson Gem Saga, and the battles move so slowly. I don't know because of loading, and it just kind of I don't even want to play it anymore. I played it for a couple hours, and I'm just like, no, I don't think I can do it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, Ogre Battle. Uh, I had originally played that on the Super Nintendo, and one of the elements of that game is that you get into a lot of uh, fast, small battles 
Well, later on on the PlayStation One, I got that uh, I got that edition for it. And what drove me crazy was that before every single battle, it felt the need to take a few seconds to load. You multiply that by the fact that you re- literally get into uh, dozens and dozens of fights on each board, which normally would only last about an hour for each board, and, and now it's an hour and a half because most of that is loading time. Yeah. <laughs> It slows down the pacing of that particular title, and it made it uh, it made it very undesirable for me to play. Yeah, it really it really matters. It didn't matter to me back in the day. I think I noticed it, you know, in, in like Final Fantasy VIII or something, when you know that your screen will will smash into a you know a thousand pieces of glass or whatever, or whichever Final Fantasy game that was. But <laughs> yeah, but now I'm just kind of sick of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of something I'm thinking. Maybe I'm just getting older and more impatient in my oldness or something. But yeah, um, any thoughts on that, Mike? About load times, or oh, about anything that we've just been talking about? He also hates them. He loves load times. He wants more of them. You are so right. There is nothing I love more than. Forcibly having the controller taken away for a few seconds every moment so that I can just watch nothing. I think we're going to talk a little bit about that. Isn't Cal- didn't Castlevania two start that grand tradition? <laughs> yeah, let's sa- let's save that commentary for a little yeah, while. Yeah, let's save that for <laughs> we'll save her over that. Um, since this is the uh, since this is the rebirth of the RPG backtrack and uh, it's my first time here and whatnot and, and it's been a while since uh, Mike's been on. Let's go ahead and, and do the f- formal introductions with each other. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, what you do on RP Gamer, a brief overview of your gaming history, etc., etc. All right. Um, well, for RP Gamer, I'm doing mostly what I did as for a very long time as a reader. Uh, I write reviews and I do editorials, and occasionally I do news and well, not news, but media somewhat. And as for my gaming history, well, I got into RPGs a lot later than most of the other people around here. I played pretty much exclusively action games up until 2000, and then, for whatever reason, I picked up Super Mario RPG, and that was my first RPG that I ever seriously played, and I loved it at the time, of course. And since then... Yeah, we can probably blame eBay a lot for my current habits of uh, trying out numerous games on old systems because in 2000 I augmented my Sega Genesis which was the only system I had at the time with a Super Nintendo and promptly picked up a good 40 games or so on eBay and tried to play them all dang, and I picked dang. up another 40 games or so for the Genesis which I had never played before and was curious about and you know, playing through all of that takes a good long time, and then I started getting into RPGs, and those take much longer to play through than action games, especially 16-bit action games. And then I'm trying to remember exactly why I did it, but eventually I picked up a Sega CD, a Dreamcast, and a Saturn, and I picked up libraries for all of those, too. And I got a Game Boy Advance because I had a horrible college schedule at the time where I arrived at 8 in the morning, got out at... 30 at night and had a good six hours or so to kill during the middle of the day. And I had to pick up a good library for the Game Boy Advance, too. <laughs> and, and there you go. That partially accounts for why I didn't get into anything newer because I was busily filling out the enormous libraries that I wanted for all those other systems. And as for my personal favorite, uh, that would be Shining Force 3, which 
We talked about it on a previous backtrack, and let it be said that I have never forgiven Sega for its utter stupidity in handling that game, nor will I, because, let's face it, Sega has not done anything in recent years that deserves forgiveness. <laughs> now, now I, I don't recall the details of that particular backtrack, um, but I was a big fan of Shining Force 1 and 2 on the Genesis, and I was looking forward to more, but did that one ever come out? Because I don't recall ever playing 3. Three only came out on the Saturn, and uh, it looks like uh, it's only going to be on the Saturn forevermore. That's a but shame. It, it came out in three parts. Each one depicts a, um, one third of the entire story from a different main character's standpoint. Right. Which, which in ninety seven, ninety eight was pretty avant garde. You didn't see that in, in the mid to late nineties. Um. Well, Sega of America had for some reason, decided that it was only going to bring out four more games for the Saturn, and then it was going to let the, sit the system sit around for a year until the Dreamcast came out over here. And one of those four games was Shining Force 3 Scenario 1, but Sega just decided, nope, you don't need to know how the rest of this game plays out. You're going to get Scenario 1, and you're going to like it, and then you get nothing else on the Saturn. Oh, that's right. I remember that now. I remember that. But you can import your data because things change based on what you did in Scenarios 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. So you can import it easily enough into Scenarios 2 and 3 and play them. And they play exactly like the first one. You won't understand the plot very well, but there's a translation online to help you with that. And let's face it, Shining Force is made to be played, and it's fun, and it's good. Yeah, I mean, I Shining... I Shining Force good. It is good. <laughs> Well, um, I, yeah, I, I really did enjoy signing, uh, Shining Force, so I'll, I'll definitely give you an endorsement there. Um, so, uh, bef uh, and I, I want to piggyback on that, but before I do, I just want to ask you, uh, along those lines, and what, what do you feel, what are your, what are your favorite elements of, of, of a typical RPG? You know, I should say combat, because if I play a lot of imports, that's obviously what I'm into. But there have been a few games where the plot drew me in when the combat didn't do so much. I'm going to throw the Sakura Tyson series in here. Let's face it, uh, that one, if you try to play that without a translation handy, you're going to be pretty bored because there's a lot of text in it. But somehow I ended up loving that series. Hmm. Um, but mostly it's combat. If you, since that's what I'm going to be doing with the majority of the game, keep me interested and I'll be happy. Keep me bored, and I'll probably fall off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to pig, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I actually pretty much echo your sentiments as uh, myself as far as what I really enjoy in an RPG. Um, I, I really uh, am more into the battle system and the character growth system more than anything else. Those elements can carry me through an RPG, even if I'm not being very engaged with the story. But at the same time, there has been a couple of times where uh, a really great story has got me through a mediocre uh, system. Uh, like Tom, I really enjoyed Final Fantasy uh, 3 slash 6. <laughs> uh, th 3 when I bought it for, I don't know, 70 bucks back in the day um, on my Super Nintendo. Uh, I, it was the, the story was just uh, the most moving thing I had seen up until that point. And uh, even as a grown man i cried at the end it was it was it was touching briefly when kafka died when kafka died no at the end the 20 minute ending yeah <laughs> that ending died. that probably is the best ending i can remember in any game 
20 like minutes... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm done. Um, sorry, you're kind of breaking in and out there. Okay. okay. I'll, well, I'll just yeah, interject yeah. to say that I do love Final Fantasy VI. Uh, it just occupied a place somewhere in the middle of everything I played, so that it's not my favorite game of all time, but I do love it. And... I mean, good. And, you know, when it, I mean, now, to, you know, when you were talking about Shining Force, I really enjoyed Shining Force for its uh, battle system. Um, but one of the reasons why was because um, uh, I had played the Gold Box D&D series on the PC years ago. Um, so a little bit of my history, uh, I've been playing uh, RPG since the mid-80s. Uh, pen and paper style, and as soon as they started releasing uh, RPGs on the Commodore 64 and the uh, PC back in the day, I was I was playing them, especially the Gold Box D and D games. I didn't so much get into the early Wizardry stuff and whatnot, or the Ultima stuff, uh, but I was really big into the D and D Gold Box series, and I really enjoyed uh, the tactical uh, combat systems that they had there, the inventory management, the fact that you really had to plan your character's growth, uh, you had to. Really really get into the instruction books and know the D&D systems to really maximize uh, what you were getting out of your party in those games. Now, when the, when I finally got Nintendo, and I played games like Final Fantasy and uh, Dragon Dragon Warrior, I think it was Dragon Warrior 4 or Dragon Quest 4, I wasn't really, really overexcited about those because in... Uh, you know, they, the, the combat systems were pretty simplistic compared to what I was already used to on the PC. Uh, Dragon Warrior 4 especially, it had uh, the party members, once you got to the fifth chapter, uh, the party members were under control of the computer's AI. You only control the main hero, and everybody else just kind of did what they wanted. <laughs> um, so I really felt nonplussed uh, at that at the beginning. But eventually it, it did sort of grow on me, and I, I did go through to complete that particular title. Uh, I later on got access to a Genesis and a Super Nintendo, and I played the Final Fantasies. I played, uh, but the uh, you know which I enjoyed uh, for the story, especially like I said, Final Fantasy VI. But on the Genesis, I really enjoyed Shining Force because it reminded me of the PC tactical combat. It still felt um, sim- simplistic compared to the Gold Box games. But um, it was neat having so many different characters. The artwork was much better than a gold box game. You, the characters were drawn with an anime influence. When they fought each other, you'd see a zoom in of your character. It was very dramatic how you see your enemy off in the distance. And that's something that you get with consoles. You get more visual flair back in those days uh, than you would get with a PC game. So, um, yeah, that those those kind of things were, were pretty attractive to me. But I played Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis, the original Game Boy. I played the Final Fantasy uh, games on the on there, uh, and I enjoyed them, uh, even though they were a little small and cute um, uh, and simplistic. But I, I still got I, I you know for your handhelds you had you, that that was absolutely the best thing back in the day, aside from Pokemon, which I never really got into. Uh, then later on with the Game Boy Advance, PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, um, everything except for really the Xbox. But um, Game Boy Advance, uh, DS now. So I pretty much have a, a ton of experience uh, across the boards. Um, aside from the final, I mean, my thing is aside from the Final Fantasy games and a uh, the Baldur's G- and the, and on the on the D and D side, uh, just like Tom, I really got into Baldur's Gate and whatnot. Um, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic is really good, and it's kind of based off the D and D system. But aside from those games, I've played a whole bunch of other ones, but there aren't a whole lot of them that I've actually played through to completion. I, I usually play with them and either get distracted by something else or get bored or whatever, and I move on. I I, I got a lot of them; it's still in my collection. Got a huge collection, but um. So 
there we go. So that's kind of an overview of everybody, uh, everybody here that's on the panel today. So, Great. Uh, yay, woohoo! We've got through the introductions finally. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Woo, go us! <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go on to our uh, next section. Uh, we call this, this section Blasts from the Recent Past. We'll just take a few minutes out uh, before we get into the meat of our main discussion on every show to kind of review games that came out uh, this time of the year two years ago uh, and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, we, we know we got a lot of great games coming out this March, but let's kind of compare that to 2008. What did we have coming out uh, for the uh, for the end of February and the beginning of March back in 2008? Well, we had Mystery Dungeon, Sheeran the Wonder for the DS, and Dragon Quest Swords, The Mask Queen, and Tower of Mirrors for the Wii. Have have any of you guys had the profound pleasure of playing either one of these titles? Negative. I played Sheeran um, while I was at work for a few hours. And, and Sheeran, uh, for those of you who uh, don't know, that's a Mystery Dungeon game, uh, otherwise uh, known as... Um, Oh, gosh dang it. Just let me. Help me out here, Tom. What is it called? Roguelike, right? Yeah, it's a roguelike. You have, you have your character. He goes into multiple a multiple-floor dungeon. If you die, you typically lose everything you know, that you collected up to that point. The goal is to you know, get to the deepest level and get something or you know, make, just make it to like, whatever paradise is at the bottom of the dungeon. And, but typically very hard and lots of different items, always upgrading your weapons. You know. uh, a, a lot of the times you'll have, you know, each time you make a movement, the monsters will move as well. So you're kind of, it's not really a real-time thing like Zelda. Um, it's more of like, you know, almost like a turn-based type of deal in a way. Yeah, you can you can kind of sit there all day and make your decision what you're going to do next, and your uh, the enemies are going to sit there and wait for you, and and that definitely gives you some time to 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 really weigh uh, your risk and consequences before you take each step, and you really need to because uh, from what I understand, uh, Tom, aren't these games pretty difficult? They tend to be, yeah. Yeah, they tend to be very brutally difficult. And I, I mean, and I played I played actually this on the DS. Uh, I got it at the same time I got a uh, uh, Yakuza, so I, I must have got this after its release time. Um, but this one in particular, I remembered as I got down pretty deep, it got really tough because it wasn't unusual to get uh, somehow confused by an enemy, lose control of your character, and 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 then you know the computer will play your turns for you. <laughs> and when you're confused, you really don't make great decisions. The next thing you know, you're dead. Uh, yeah, which that's is a, probably the the worst thing that can happen in a in a roguelike. Yeah, yeah. But I guess you know technically you should have uh, had confuse reflecting armor or something. Yeah, hopefully by that time you found something to protect yourself against such uh, status uh, ailments. So it was definitely a lot of trial and error, getting to learn the floors, getting to learn the enemies. Uh, very deliberate gameplay uh, that uh, that's definitely between the hard and the brutal difficulty levels. It's, it's certainly an acquired taste uh, and whatnot. Usually, definitely. yeah, usually with 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 those types of games, it's a it's a love it or hate it type of thing with most people. And then um, now, d d by by chance, I, I heard Mike said he didn't. But did, Tom, did you get to play Dragon Quest Swords? 
I did not. My brother has it, but I haven't gotten a chance to borrow it from him yet. Let me tell you, if you play this game, your arm will get tired. <laughs> I guess the way... Yeah, that's how it sounds. Hey, I, I've got this on the Wii, and I've, I've played it for a good uh, five or six hours. Um, the the thing is, it's it's cute if you're into the Dragon Quest series. Uh, you can give this a bonus point because you're going to get the same characters, the same charm, a lot of the same uh, graphical elements and sound elements that the Dragon Quest series has become very known for. Those elements are found in this game. The the thing that really stands out about Dragon Quest Swords, of course, is the the actual battle mechanics. You're playing uh, usually you're 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 the main character in your party. Sometimes you'll have a support character or, or whatnot to to help cast spells with you and whatnot. When you get into battles, the little slimes or whatever you're fighting appear on the screen. You have to pour, point your Wiimote at the screen, press the button which kind of targets them, and then you slash your arm around to do horizontal, diagonal, uh, vertical slashes and and, and whatnot. And you can also, uh, I forget exactly how to do it, I can't remember if it's the shoulder button or whatnot, uh, to activate your shield and block attacks in. So it's a very proactive uh, combat system. I enjoyed it for the most part, but only in short bursts. I, 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 my arm does get tired, flailing it all around and stuff. I don't even know how people play Zelda on the Wii. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I I did for the most part. It's okay. It's an it's a slightly enjoyable experience. Uh, my advice to most most RP gamers out there: if you see it in the bargain bin uh, and you like Dragon Quest, go ahead and pick it up. If you're not a huge fan of the Dragon Quest uh, series, you don't you, you never really got into it or whatnot. This isn't this isn't going to sell you in and uh, in and by itself. It's not a, a super uh, great experience, but with the nostalgia there, it's 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 cute. So for for the 15 bucks I paid for it, I'm I'm happy. Alrighty. Well, that, anything else from about the these two games, guys? Mm, no? Not really. Nothing. I mean, go ahead, Mike. I got nothing. I mean, I want to play. I want to play Dragon Quest Swords after reading Anna's review of it because I do like like killing slimes and I do like all the monsters from Dragon Quest. I think they're kind of funny. I don't know. There's something about them that just appeals to me. I like to kill them a lot. So. They, they, they really enjoy this because on the Wii on you know with the Wii and whatnot the the pictures are bigger than your let's say if you go back and you play your old uh, PS1 version uh, you know Dragon Dragon Quest Seven or something like that I guess the graphics are about as vibrant to, uh, maybe not quite as sharp but they're definitely as vibrant in my opinion as Dragon Dragon uh, Dragon Quest Nine. Uh, and, and there is something satisfying about clicking on the buggers and then slashing your arm and they die. And Yeah, you, you can get into it. It's like, die, you evil little slime. Yeah, you get a couple of those nerded out moments. Make sure no one's looking at you and then you go back and you kill some more. How can you hate murdering slimes? Yeah, no, what's really cool is when you slash them diagonally, they cut in half. That's yeah, awesome. I, yeah. I really want to do that. Yeah, there's something satisfying about that. <laughs> so is a slime a solid or a liquid? We've never figured that out. It's a jello. Okay. <laughs> Technically, it's a solid. There you go. Tom has spoken. Okay. Yep, Tom knows. <laughs> well, it's time uh, to move on, and that means we're gonna we're gonna go into our next uh, next segment, which is called the main event.
as I'm sure everyone's heard through the introduction, we are talking today about uh, the Castlevania's uh, earliest uh, uh, entries into RPG mechanics. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, now when I when I mention Castlevania and I mention RPG mechanics, Symphony of the Night is the first game that comes to most RP gamers' mind. Uh, however, uh, some people may not realize that Castlevania II Simon's Quest actually contained quite a number of RPG elements uh, back in the day. And uh, and I had the displeasure of playing uh, this one uh, as a as a youngin back in those days for, for quite a number of hours uh, and whatnot. And, and, and Tom, didn't you also play some of this? Not back in the day, but I've, I recently played it. Um... I um, I got through all of the dungeons. I just didn't make it to Dracula. I was like, eh, I get it, and I just watched a YouTube video to show me the end. <laughs> but I played just about all of it. I think YouTube uh, is actually the best way to enjoy Castlevania II, seconded only to uh, watching uh, the angry uh, video game nerds review of it. <laughs> um, yeah, a real number on it. He does, he does. Um, when I played this back in the day, and whatnot, and, and council it does get a, a lot of flack, and some of it's very deserved uh, flack. Uh, but when I played it back in the day, as a, a, and I had just picked it up and, and put it into the nest and whatnot. At, at first, when I saw that I could speak to people, I had statistics and inventory to manage a little bit. I was pretty excited. Um, it was really uh, I can't remember if this if I got this before Zelda Two, which also was very similar in its structure. Um, but this was really one of the first games where I was in a side-scroller and was able to talk to people and, and have these RPG elements that I loved from playing computer games and whatnot kind of mixed in there. The premise was 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 pretty exciting at first. Um, unfortunately for me, what happened is, you know, after going out and playing for a while and leveling a bit and whatnot... And what 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 happened with me is that I I could I I I couldn't seem to get any further. I I was coming to these dead ends, and, and really was unable to figure out what to do next. Um, I was not privileged enough to have a subscription to Nintendo Power back in the day, so I only had a couple of issues that were given to me by friends. <laughs> what was that? Aww. Aww. Power was the the food of champions or something like that. Ah. Well, in, in an age without game facts and whatnot, boy, you, you need a Nintendo Power to get by some of these beasts. And, uh, Definitely needs something to get you through. It's just so many, like, random things, and there's uh, the game doesn't really... I mean, maybe talking to people explains something, but I don't think so. I mean, the, the people that I talked to just said stuff like, uh, you know, don't make me stay, I'll die, and other things like that. They didn't tell me, like, kneel by a lake when I collect a crystal and all that. Yeah, and I swear some of them were just outright lying to throw me off, which <laughs> is a pretty cool concept, especially you know on early RPGs like Final Fantasy, where everyone's kind of giving you little clues and hints, and they're almost all entirely accurate for the most part. You get to Castlevania too, and everyone's trying to, to throw you off course. <laughs> so, uh, can you tell me why in Castlevania two, falling into the water kills you, one hit, no chance, no chance to recover. <laughs> Well, the thing is, you know, his whip is pretty heavy, and he's always wearing it around his waist. So as soon as he hits the water, he sinks like a stone. Okay. That <laughs> just means that Simon Belmont needs to learn to swim, I guess. <laughs> that or, might... or you do the Indiana Jones and use that whip to hook onto something. Well, and in all fairness and honesty, water was actually a, a, a main 
means of death in many NES games back in the day. So it's actually just blue lava. You're yeah. confused. It's not water. It's blue acid. There you go. Yeah, acid or water. Yeah, acidic water. Mm-hmm. I mean lava. Right, yeah. right. The the NES could only display a few colors at once, and they couldn't display enough to make that look like real lava. So we have to go with the watery lava that remains to us. Well, lava is blue in Japan, if you didn't know that. You're right, I didn't know that. It must be something about how the sun shines differently at a, at a different latitude. Mm-hmm. What you really got to make, what you really got to ask yourself, though, is why did these townspeople build up this pretty huge town uh, full with people and children around all of this dangerous, ascetic, love, blue lava? I don't know. I guess I guess we shouldn't analyze it that much. I mean, you know. <laughs> all members of a cult, and that cult bade them to build the town right there, and they had no choice. <laughs> and, as soon, and as soon as you go outside there, pretty little towns, you're attacked by skeletons and spiders and knights, oh my. So. Oh, and those nasty fishmen. I don't know why the fishmen never come out of the water... I'm sorry, the lava in the town. But they come out of the lava everywhere else, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they like to they like to jump out and say hi to you, poke you with their stick. For all the um negative, you know, the, the how hard it was, I I think the challenge was really just um uh a an effect of that era, you know, every a lot of the Nintendo games um had, you know, aspects that were just like you had to have Nintendo power. You had to have your friend come over and say like you know, go under the waterfall, collect the orange hat. You know, then you can fly up to the the castle. And I think I I like what the game tried to do, tried to do there at least. Um, so I don't know. Well, yeah, I you admire what it tried to do without necessarily admiring what it actually did. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to judge it for me today because I didn't play it back in the day. I think if I had played it back when it had come out, I think I probably would have really liked it a lot, you know, when you discover what you're actually supposed to do. But I don't know. For 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 me, back in those days, the frustration, I mean, really came into the fact that when you compare it with other games around that time is that you really couldn't do squat without the ni- Nintendo power. And mind you, like you kind of indicated, that was something that was prevalent in a number of games. There were some games like Super Mario, which you could get through without the book just fine, but if you had some of the hints or a friend or something, then it, you could figure out secrets like Unlimited Lives and Warp Pipes and whatever have you. Um, I felt uh, Zelda kind of shared a little bit you know of the problems because where I had I played Zelda on my own first before I ever had access to a guide or friends and I had a really hard time finding a couple of the dungeons um, and I can't remember if it was in the game in the Zelda Plus game uh, or what but I remember there's this one dungeon you have to blow up a certain wall to find and for the life of me I don't remember anybody giving me much direction (laughs) in bombing that I I, I don't know who would stop and think let me bomb every single wall in the canyon until I figure out where this place is at but um, that seemed to be necessary you're right for it really seemed like they were almost leading you to either call the uh, the uh, Nintendo advisors (laughs) for 295 a minute or or buy the Nintendo power guide and Castlevania 2 would just had that in spades and spades. I mean, heck, you couldn't even walk through the dungeons without falling through lots of floors unless you hit it up with a bunch of holy water or you were looking through a guide. It was just 
Oof. Yeah. I mean, I admire yep. what it try, what tried to do. In a way, I think it um, tried to do what uh, Symphony of the Night did for the series um, as a whole, where you know every game after it sort of followed that formula because it worked so well. But maybe the tech just wasn't there. You know, they tried to enter uh, put like a leveling system. Um, you know, a system where you kind of collect different items and they'll have different effects on the world. Not necessarily the same as Symphony of the Night, but something like that. Yeah, and so I, I, I now, now, now you were playing through. I, I really think I want to make a point here, but you said you were playing through. I'm, I'm presuming you were using some sort of FAQ or something. Yeah, I had to. I mean, I just my I tried to play without, but. Like you, it's just not that fun. It wasn't fun enough. I know. I I just couldn't. I just couldn't stand it really. Now with so with the FAQ, with the power of the FAQ by your side, was it an enjoyable gaming experience to you today? Yes, with the fact only. But without it, you know, you have to explore every uh, mansion. There are, are five different mansions. You're collecting the the pieces of Dracula to put him back together, uh, so you can kill him because. Um, you are cursed with Dracula's curse. Uh, so you go into the mansions, and they're like the main dungeons, and if you don't have a fact, you have to explore, and there's all these dead ends, and there's, um, you know, um, some of the floors are, are not really there, so you'll fall through, and then you have to backtrack, so after a little bit of that, I was like, no, nope, forget it. <laughs> mm. Well, if, but, you were uh, able but, yeah. the, if you were able to play through the whole thing... Uh, doing a speed run, it takes about an hour, right? It, it didn't take me very long to get through almost almost all of it. And and to be you know and to be and to be a little bit fair, uh, a number of the games these days that that come out, some of the more challenging games, really also require an FAQ to get through. Um, Mike and I have recently had an experience like that, haven't we, Mike? <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I don't think we'll be forgetting that one anytime soon, but I don't know if we should spoil it by talking about it now, and we'll probably talk about it again at some point in the future. We will, because I mean, cause we, we are talking about games that are two years old, and it'll only be a matter of time before that one comes up again. Ooh, a uh, teaser. Yeah, a little teaser. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, when that game comes up on the on the blast section, uh, I think it'll be a very long blast section, because we'll be blasting that game for a while. <laughs> um, yep. So, um, so Tom's suggestion here is if you got a fact, uh, go ahead and give it a shot. Um, so that takes us. Uh, so that pretty much uh, wraps that up and takes us really to Symphony of Night. So they tried these elements in Simon's Quest. Um, obviously, there were a lot of challenges, and when they went to do Castlevania Three, they went back to the standard uh, formula. And the next few Castlevania games after that on the Nintendo and the Genesis stuck with the original pure action adventure, straightforward. Uh, 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 game that Castlevania was pretty much known for, but then something happened with the PlayStation One, and I think that came out on something else before that. Jumei will tell or Mike will tell us about, but yeah. Symphony of the Night when it came out had a whole different approach. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Mike? Okay, for, understand that when I've played Symphony of the Night, it's been as a Nocturne in the Moonlight on the Saturn, mostly because the plot for Symphony of the Night. Uh, is kind of inconsequential. Um, on the Saturn, it's a little bit different. There are 
two new areas that also have their inverses in the reverse castle, the Cursed Prison and the Underground Garden. The Cursed Prison is kind of short. It has some really strong enemies, so you can go power level there for a little bit early on because you can reach it very easily. Uh, the Underground Garden is right at the entrance. You fall down a hole that I guess leads to nowhere on the PlayStation, but leads to the Underground Garden on the Saturn. And there's a there's a unique boss there. I can't remember his name. He's pretty much a gigantic gardener, and he's kind of a pain, but he's all right. A gigantic look, gardener? Yeah, he has a big sword. He shoots beams with it. Uh, if you hit him, he likes to shower off explosive things that make you run away real fast or else they hurt. There are also a bunch of psycho gardeners in the underground garden who wield gigantic pruning shears that get in your face. Um... Oh, and also, one big change is you fight Maria for the goggles that you see Shaft with on the Saturn, and she's pretty tough, because she uses exclusively holy weapons, and that means most of your special weapons do nothing to her, and she hits you hard. She killed me a couple of times before I could finally take her down. That's in the regular castle, right? Right. Wow. The reverse castle is pretty much the same, again, with reverse cursed prison and underground garden again with more unique enemies and the reverse underground garden has an awesome remix version of the beginning theme um oh and you is get there, to play in this is there a, sorry is there a story reason why you fight Maria like why she makes you fight her uh she says something about needing to test your strength to be sure that uh, you can handle this understand that I I only recognized a few words but test you and test your strength were among them, so that's that's the logic you're given. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah, since she is pretty tough, it's a reasonable test. If you can't take her, then Richter's gonna might be a problem for you. Mm-hmm. So, um... So, what was what you know? What was your what was your impression of the game and its changes from the series and stuff when when you were first tackling this, Mike? Uh, actually, I never played much of the action Castlevanias as a kid. Don't know why that happened. It, it wasn't my Nintendo, so I didn't get to choose most of what was played on there. I ended up playing a lot of 1942, as I recall. Um, so this was not my first. Metroidvania, that would be Circle of the Moon, but I had heard a lot about it, and I went into it with pretty big expectations, and they were mostly met. This is an incredibly entertaining game that does an excellent job of making you want to keep exploring that castle until you fill out every last square on that map. And the only real knock I can give it is it's mostly not that hard, especially compared to all of the handheld Metroidvanias that we would see later. There are a couple of difficult bosses, like oh, Gallimoth is a real jerk, but mostly it's not that hard. To me. I Maybe found it pretty easy. Yeah. Well, Phil didn't necessarily, but he's not oh. not your typical action gamer anyway. No, oh gosh, good, good gravy. I just mentioned that to you in passing because at the moment you talking to me, I just, you know, bit the bullet on this stupid bird a couple of times. Doesn't mean I think the game's hard. So, Phil, um, you're not very good at games, huh? Yeah, I, I guess not. I guess <laughs> I guess Mike has spoken. <laughs> I hang my head I in, in humility. 
Ah, yeah, yeah. But I beat every Ratchet and Clank. That's an action game. Mm. Um. Well, if, I, if, you, if the bird you're talking about is the one I remember, I found that if you keep hitting it, it reacts every time you hit it, so that eventually you'll beat it. And I guess yeah, it, it reacts by breathing fire that takes off 20 hit points. It's real cute. Well, that's just how lovable the bird is. And then Most after birds won't do that for you. After that, it poops out a couple of eggs, and its little birdlings come out and attack me for a few hit points. It's real cute. Should we give an overview of Symphony of the Night? Well, actually, I was just about to ask you to do that, Mr. Tom. Take it away. Okay. Well, um, the previous Castlevania games starred a member of the Belmont family, at least as far as I know, maybe the, mostly they did. Um, and the previous one starred, I believe, Richter, right? And he killed Dracula, but all of a sudden the castle, uh, he destroyed Dracula's castle, whatever. And now it's back. But you're not playing as a Belmont. You play as Alucard, who is the son of Dracula. But um, Dracula's... I don't know what the word here. When Dracula mated with a human woman, her name is Lisa. And uh, they created Alucard. And he has... Uh, Dracula's castle has reappeared after five years. It's not supposed to appear... Um, he's not. He only appears every hundred years. So he's back early for some reason. Nobody knows why. Alucard has come to, you know, destroy the... You know, uh, destroy his father once and for all. Um, so that's a basic overview. I mean, um, should I give away, you know, the... Uh, we've already talked about it. The inverted castle probably is the biggest moment in the game. Uh, should we talk about it, or you want me to wait? <laughs> uh, yeah, oops. I kind oops. of that out of the bag, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to talk about it now? Sure. Why not? Well, well, yeah, I guess the big moment in the game, which is, this is a spoiler, if you, uh, I don't know why you're listening, if yeah, you don't want if, any spoilers, if, but... Yeah, if you, yeah <laughs> especially if you want to, if you're nervous about a spoiler in a Castlevania game. Yeah, um... <laughs> Basically, you play through the whole castle, you upgrade all your abilities, you know, you get bat form, mist form, all that. Uh, you uh, fight the, the last boss, and um, if you do it a certain way, you actually unlock the castle, the ent an entire new castle, which is uh, the inverted castle. So um, you can beat the game. Uh, if you don't do it in the right way, you can, you know, stop playing forever and never know that there was an entire new castle to explore so it's pretty I think it's for me that was definitely a, a huge moment uh, in gaming for me probably one of my most memorable just cause uh, you know I beat it and I saw an ending and I was like ugh that was an awful kind of an awful ending mm -hmm. and then I went back and I, I, I figured out you know something else to do and I was like wow jeez so now much did, more to did, do did you figure that out all on your own or did a friend mention it to you or what happened no I figured it out on my own I think kind of um I, you know, because I hadn't, I hadn't explored the entire castle. Um, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I was like, ah, I might as well go back to this room and that room, uh, and then you get, you know, the certain the holy glasses from, from uh, you have to, you know, get a, a certain bat ability, which is radar, to go through a dark room, and then you have to collect this spike breaking armor to go through into this other room um, that is covered with spikes, and then you get these holy glasses that. Um, the the last boss of the original castle is is Richter, but he's being controlled by the Dark Priest Shaft. So if you have the Holy Glasses, you can see the Dark Priest Shaft, and you can kill him instead of uh, Richter, and then that unlocks the second castle. And it, go ahead. 
the chapped is one bad mother. He is. I was about to say that. That was too. That was too easy to pass up. Uh, not to pass up. It, but I mean, and that's one of the things that really, you know, the game definitely has RPG elements. There's no doubt about it. You got the leveling. You got the inventory management. The whole nine yards. But really, what made this stand out compared to its previous one was just how open ended it was. How you could, how there were just areas of the castle which were totally optional for you to get to. You could only get to them after you had certain abilities and whatnot. And if you went back and you got them, and you, like you said, you got the glasses and whatnot, and you, you you completed everything, and then you went back and did it again, you get the 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 you get a better ending. It would open up a whole entire new game. And this was this was something that you would see in future uh, iterations of some of the handhelds, which we'll talk about when we talk about uh, games like Order of Ecclesia and whatnot. Uh, this is something that happens again and again, but it's definitely one of, I, 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 it was definitely one of the things that I remember when the game came out on the PlayStation, when I was reading the reviews, these were, uh, these were some of the uh, elements that were really praised uh, in those reviews and what really they said made this game a, must, a must-own game. Yeah, I mean it changed it changed Castlevania and that's why every you know game since then has basically followed the exact same formula, you know, using a different skill system or or whatever but basically very similar. And 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 you know, it it definitely, you know, with the fact that you have this castle and you've got the little radar map that's like Metroid, it, it, in a way it feels like Metroid, but in a way it feels more like an RPG aside. Again, you do have the inventory management and the stats and the armor and equipping and things you can buy like an RPG. Um, but aside from those elements, which can feel a little superficial at times, um, the fact that the the there were just areas of the castle that were so optional. I, I remember when I was playing Metroid. Granted, you didn't have to hit every area of Metroid, and there were definitely some some hidden areas where if you went and you found them, you'd get an extra energy tank or an extra missile upgrade or or whatnot. But as most Metroid gamers know, the way you got the good endings in Metroid was you you got through the game as quickly as possible. Then you get a really spiffy ending. You didn't necessarily open up more game or anything like that. But with with the Castlevania games. It really felt like those optional areas were much more fleshed out. You 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 find whole entire hallways and rooms that were totally different, which would uh, which would if you did them all, like you said, it would open up an entirely new gaming experience on the end and really double that game for you. Very much like hitting the Zelda Plus in in the original Legend of Zelda. Yeah, there's this entire area in Symphony of the Night that I, when I was going, when I went back and played it again, uh, where you get the underwater item, where you can breathe underwater or whatever, um, that's found through hitting a secret wall as far as, that's how I found it. And uh, it's like a huge area, so. Yeah, and if you don't get that underwater item, then falling into the water hurts you every time. Although it doesn't kill you instantly, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Now let me ask you, you guys, since you've put a lot more time into this than I have, how important are the RPG elements to Symphony of the Night? Well, um, I think you know some people might say you know, you know, Symphony of the Night. That's not an RPG. You know, if uh, if Symphony of the Night's an RPG, then Metroid's an RPG. But um, I don't think that's true at all because. Um, you know, Symphony will have you leveling up, you know, from the first room. Um, when you get hit, numbers will appear above your head. It has you focusing on your hit points, your stats, your experience points. Um, 
you know, different equipment. You're, you're constantly switching equipment, armor. Um, you have um, you can equip two weapons or or weapon and a shield. You can uh, equip armor, um, a hat or whatever, like glasses, and then like two yeah. rings and then something else, right? Like uh, I forget what the other thing is. The helmet? Did I say helmet? Anyway, I don't know. But um, I think it's, it's cape. Yeah, cape, cape. Uh, which changes color, by the way, which is very neat. Yeah, I like um, the uh, I like the flashing cape that goes from what was it, violet to orange, and several other colors in between. Yeah, I don't know. If that, I don't know if I got that one, but but yeah, the cape, the the I would it would be cool if you know everything else changed its look too, like if it showed him wearing sunglasses. But anyway. Now, but how how okay? But how important were these RPG elements? Now in Metroid, you you got a little bit of inventory management. You had to equip certain missiles at certain times, use the right weapon at the right time in order to proceed through the dungeon or whatever have you. But how important were the statistics and the management of optional items and stuff like that? How important was that? Could you take that away and still have a have the same core experience? Was it a total throwaway, or was it really important to your gaming? I'm going to say it's somewhere in the middle because certain pieces of equipment definitely help you a lot. Uh, I mentioned Gallimoth a little while ago. Anybody who's played the game and tried to explore everything will remember this gigantic punk that is possibly tougher than Dracula because he's just a gigantic jerk and he'll floor you real fast. But if you have a Which certain one is he against? He's the, the gigantic ox sort of guy who's at the end of the bottom of the reverse caverns, I think. The Egyptian one? No, that's the mummy. This is the guy who stands at least two screens tall, and he has a big mace. And, and electricity? Throw... Yes, that's him. Okay, gotcha. You remember him now. Yes. But if you have a certain helm that happens to absorb lightning attacks, then you have a very cheap method of waiting until he uses the lightning attack, then walking in there and smacking him a lot while being healed by the lightning until he turns back to some other attack and then you just try to dodge him as much as you can and it takes a long time because the guy has an idiotic number of hit points but you will eventually win that way and if you didn't absorb the lightning or use some other cheap tactic because I think there's a way that you can destroy pretty much anything in a moment by using an card special shield um, if you try and fight this guy straight on without using any special equipment tactics then you're screwed He's a really tough one. Which is probably why he's optional. Yeah, um, Mike brings up a good point that um, another thing which I would call an RPG element are how every enemy has different resistances and strengths. You know, holy, dark, I think there's, you know, there's also every, there's fire weapons. Some of your own armor will be, you know, resistant to fire or ice. So you're, you're going to want to switch your equipment and, and your weapons depending on what you're fighting in many situations. I didn't really find that I needed to do that a lot because, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just really good at Castlevania now because I found the game pretty easy, but there are a lot of um, elements like that that can, you know, make the game a lot easier if you take advantage of them. Yep. Were yeah, there... I... Go ahead. Yeah, and there... mostly it's the bosses that you need to deal with, to do that with. Or, I think there was some, um... weapon, some item that let me resist stone. I'm trying to remember what it was, because those Medusa heads can be really pesky if they keep stoning you. It's like a hat or something. Yeah, but I know it exists, and that's another thing which would be very, very helpful. 
for anybody who's ever played a Castlevania game and had to deal with Medusa heads would know. <laughs> were Were there any other since I mean, and I guess we'll kind of establish this now on RPG Backtrack or whatnot, guys. If you're listening to this and we're talking about the game, there's going to be spoilers. So if you don't want to hear spoilers. I don't know what to tell you. Um, are there any other um, extra modes in, in like the PlayStation version or the PSP, which is I think essentially the PlayStation version, uh, which is probably what most gamers have access to these days? Um, are there any other extra versions that you can unlock in those games? Well, you can play as Richter and you can play as Maria, I think, on the PSP at least. But they play a lot more traditional Castlevania style. No items and equipment and whatnot. You just blaze through and kill everything as fast as you can. Hmm. Does, so, I mean, are they just really overpowered characters so you can burn through everything faster? Or is the fact that they can't switch out their weapons and stuff really detrimental because you can't really protect yourself as well against certain attacks? I would say more the latter. I tried playing as Maria once, and I got... I think I managed to get to Dracula, at which point I made one teensy mess calculation and died in one hit from him. I don't remember exactly what I did, but it kind of uh, left me unhappy. Yeah, and uh, playing as Richter, he's definitely, you know, you only use your whip. I guess you, there are some special abilities you can use, but he's de- it's uh, it basically puts it back at, you know, a more traditional... Um, Castlevania game rather than the more RPG-ish one, playing as Alucard. Yeah, where you have to you have to dodge the attacks all the time, because you can only take a couple hits. Not like with uh, Alucard, when you fight Dracula, and you can just screw around a lot and watch as he rips you apart, but you can use some items and heal yourself, and you'll only take 20-30 damage from each of his hits. Tell us about the voice acting. Please remember that on the Saturn, I did not experience the English voice acting. Dracula is played by Norio Wakamoto, who, well, if you know the guy, you know that he's your classic villain voice. But I understand that the English voice acting for Symphony of the Night is renowned for its certain qualities. It's Um, really bad. Let me I, and, and let me just uh, if we if we can just give me a couple of seconds of silence, I'll go ahead and, and put some of those clips in here right now. So let's just for for a few seconds here. Let's listen to some of this. Count Dracula, you have ever been the ally of humans. Have you forgotten what they did to your mother? Think you I would forget such a thing? No. Farewell, my son! Farewell, father. Believe it or not, I shall miss you. There is something funny about this wall. This is really suspicious looking. Hmm, a switch. Why don't I press it and see? So, as you can probably hear, it's really something to to listen to there. I Um, hope you put, die, monster, what do you hear? (laughs) Um, I think you put whatever whatever shaft says. How how did you how did you guys feel about the visuals? I think they're pretty good. Um, definitely, I think they're improved on the on the DS. But for you know a game that came out in in ninety seven, 
I, I think they they stand up to what's been do, uh, what's being done today in 2D games. Pretty good. Yeah, what I noticed is that a lot of the enemies. I just played the game again a couple days ago, to be, so it would be fresh in my head, and I noticed almost all of the enemies in there were recycled for use in the handheld ones, pretty much without changes, which must mean that they looked pretty darn good to start with. A lot, of, a lot of the a lot of the enemies are like the design of them is so interesting. Like when you reverse the castle, you'll have this archer that is on this giant mechanical platform that can go yeah. up, um, up and down the stairs that are now upside down. It's really kind of you know clever what they did. There's there's a lot of different monsters, and they're, yeah, they're really almost, cleverly designed. Almost none of the monsters just dies. They all have some interesting yes. death animation. Like they'll blow apart or they'll crumple into a pile of bones or they'll shred into a big pile pool of blood what have you yeah i think every enemy is packed with dynamite in symphony like the the very first the the wargs <laughs> that you fight the very first warg the the giant wolf like yeah. explodes into all this fire and you're like what the what's going on there uh they probably eat nitroglycerin for breakfast or something they must yeah um now, and, and, and I meant to say, you know, uh, now my perspective is uh, we like to give different perspectives on RPG backtrack. Uh, we certainly recognize uh, the, the fact there's usually two main perspectives. Those who have played the game back when it first came out and might be looking at it through rose-colored glasses. And then there's, you know, some somebody else who's usually will be on the, the board who has just recently played it and therefore can give it a little bit more of a fresh uh, perspective in relation to today's games. And that, in this case, would be me. Um, and granted, I, I haven't actually actually beat any of these games yet uh, this this game yet uh, but I did spend quite amount of time of it and I will say yeah it does really hold up well much better um, you know I, I would much rather look at this and play this than certain other um, RPGs that came out uh, from that time period or whatnot the, the graphics are very uh, appealing and have held up really well the gameplay is extremely tight um, it's it's definitely more solid it's easier to handle jumping and and attacking the enemies and stuff than other um, Castlevania games from before that period I really enjoyed the personality of of the castle and whatnot, and I think you can get through this uh, with minimal interaction with the FAQs, but I do think that you'll be able to probably enjoy it. If you're going to go back and play this, you might enjoy it a little bit more with at least a few uh, tips from an FAQ somewhere so that you can unlock some of the um, optional stuff as, as you're going through. But, um, but so, you know, for the amount of time I've been able to put into it, I've really enjoyed my experience, and I'll definitely uh, put a little testimony out there that it definitely holds up well with age. Um, on RP Gamer, if you take a look at our review archives, it's gotten an average of 4.33 out of 5. So definitely a, a game that's been universally praised even by some of our um, RPG reviewers and staff members. So um, let me go back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. Uh, Mike, you're obviously uh, the, the big, biggest gung-ho here for this series, giving it a 5 out of 5. So why don't you give us your best sales pitch for those RP uh, gamers who are listening who maybe haven't been convinced just yet how good this game is. Well, I should mention that I wasn't being subjected to the proofing process back when I was a reader. So I might be forced to take that down a little bit now, but not much, because it really is... Well, if you cannot stand anything action RPG, do not try this, because you it's an action RPG through and through. You need reflexes, you need timing. But if you can handle that, then it's great. Uh, 
It stays consistently fun to explore the castle. The music is awesome, I should mention that. Um, the plot is... The plot isn't much, but frankly for a Castlevania game, it's still more involved than usual. And... It's just fun to wander around that castle exploring and killing new things, because... They pack that that castle full of unique enemies that attack differently and keep you on your toes all the time, without being too challenging like many other Castlevania games have been. So if challenge is your problem, then this is a good one to play. Yeah, that's a good sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, no, but I, I, I agree with Mike, because... um. The game just does constantly surprise you. You're constantly going to a new room that'll have like a new set of enemies. Like there's one room where there's just like a, a whole bunch of octopi that are like emitting ink on you, and you know new weapons, new you know this and that through the entire entire game. So and um, and there you go. Um, and 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 would y'all agree that that the that this absolutely laid down some really good. Elements that were carried forward in future Castlevanias. One hundred percent. All of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously they they did something right, and I would say if you're if you're looking at getting into the series uh, and picking up the Game Boy Advance games and the D and the DS games, and you're one of those completionists that like to play through an entire series from beginning to end, this is actually a very good entry point to get into the the Castlevania. Uh, series start off with with this one on your uh, there, there's a version of it on the PSP the PS1 version if you've got that um, I don't know if it's anywhere else it's on Xbox modern. Live Xbox oh that's Live. right how could I forget yeah. Xbox Live absolutely and you can so, buy it in stores with like Frogger and uh, some other random Xbox Live arcade game <laughs> and it's easy enough to pick up the uh, the Game Boy Advance games which we'll be talking about next time uh, and then we'll talk about the DS uh, games on the show after that. So, all righty. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on. It's time for Mike's Import Corner. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I had, to, I had to look around carefully to, for something that is actually sort of actiony. But Mado Monogatari One sort of counts here. Um, Mado Monogatari, people would probably recognize if I say that it's connected to Puyo Puyo because almost all the characters uh, move around between those series, and they're all by the same company. Anyway, Madame Morangatari is, you are the, I think you're five years old, little Arle and Nadja, and you're do, taking your magic test, which involves you just running through a tower and getting to the top, and I can't remember exactly what you have to get up there, but running through the tower is your main goal. And... It's on the Genesis, or I should say the Mega Drive, because it never came out over here. And it came out in 96, which is pretty late for a Genesis game. So it looks pretty good. And this is possibly one of the most number-phobic RPGs you will ever see. You don't see a hit, any hit points for Arla. You just see her face. And as her smile slowly dims down, she starts to kind of look tired. That means... She's hurting. You don't see her level. You just have a big gold bar that takes up the bottom half of the screen, and little jewels start accumulating as you kill things, and eventually when all of the bars down there are full, you get a big sparkly effect, and she gains a level. But what level was it? Well, you better be counting, because the game's not going to tell you. Again, very, very <laughs> perfect. 
Um, as for combat, it's random. It's a first person. You navigate the thing first person, and then you get into a fight, and you play it kind of like a fighting game. You make motions on your controller and perform moves that way. Also, again, you want to know how many magic points Arla has? The game's not going to tell you. You can either do the move or you can't. But it's real generous with that, so it's not much of a problem. Does it have an equipment system and, like, statistics at all or, or anything like that? You can use items, but no equipment. Again, that would require numbers. No numbers in this game. How is she attacking? Is she just slapping the opponents? or She uses magic spells. Okay. She's five years old. I don't think her slapping things would have much effect. Uh, yeah, she just uses a little basic fire, ice storm. I can't remember what other spells there are, but there are plenty of them. And you can't see what the spells are in battle, but you can pull up a menu that shows you what everything is outside of battle, so if your memory gets a little lax, you can help yourself out that way. And most what, is her, hmm? what is her goal in the game? Like, the story-wise? She has to pass her magic test so that she qualifies for uh, first-level mage or whatever she's trying to be. Again, she's five. You can't expect too much skill from a five-year-old. That's fair. And then, and I guess they sh in this world, they shove all five-year-olds into gigantic dungeons with, well, lots of characters from Puyo Puyo, like Skeleton T, or the, f the truly frightening Suke Todora, which is a fish with a baby's arms and legs. Nice. Now here's what I'm confused about. Did Puyo Puyo come first, or did this come first? This came first, actually. And then they, oh, wow. just, and then I guess uh, compiled decided, well, we haven't done puzzle games, and there seems to be a niche for two-player action, so let's do that. Hmm. Um. Did, so, did this? Do you think this game lay down any groundwork for something later on? Not really. I don't think it was that much of a success. The Mega Drive wasn't nearly as big as the Super Famicom in Japan, and it came out right at the end of the system's life cycle anyway. And the only other Model Monogatari RPG that came out uh, after this one wasn't an action RPG at all, but I'll talk about that some other day. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, um, anything else? Uh... It's a fairly easy import. Again, there's not a whole lot of text in here. Um, there are some puzzles that you may need to consult a fact for, but it's not that hard, honestly. And you can save at any point, which is very nice, because even today, not all games let you save anywhere. No, no, a few come to mind. <laughs> yeah. So would you recommend this, Mike, or would you... Is this a an import or a non-import? Ugh... Well, I gave it a three when I reviewed it, so really, if you're on the fence, if this sounds interesting, you'll probably like it. If what I've just said holds no interest whatsoever, don't bother. If you like five-year-olds and slimes, what do you think? You'll probably like it, because it is cute. <laughs> the Puyo Puyo characters are many things, but uncute is usually not one of them. <laughs> Something for us to wrap our minds around tonight. Um, <laughs> normally, uh, don't think about, don't think too deeply about that, please. We don't want to get into illegal territory. Yeah, we're gonna have somebody knock it on Mike's door here tonight. 
Um, so normally we'd have some Q and A's at this point, but since this is our first rebirth uh, podcast here, we we really don't have any. But we definitely encourage everybody uh, to to leave your comments or write us questions or whatnot. Um, you can leave those uh, questions or comments on the boards, um, or you can, um, I guess you could email us. Mike, what's your email address? Do you have an RP Gamer address? Yeah, you can send it to jumason at rpgamer.com, or you can send it to the email that I check more often, which is albertodyssey at hotmail. Okay. Okay. And that's that. We're going to get, uh, those are going to be some important email addresses because um, it's time for our contest, Mike. I know. Yeah. So, so, so we've talked a lot about Castlevania, and uh, and so um, our contest this week uh, will be for a PSP version of Castlevania Chronicles, which uh, includes a, an unlockable uh, Symphony of the Night in there, so you can experience that in all of its handheld glory. <laughs> um, and and Mike is going to explain to us the uh, details of his little contest and give you the questions. So go ahead, take it away, Mike. Well. To, pr- to further prove that Konami's port of Symphony of the Night on the Saturn wasn't all it could have been, they didn't do any additional math. So that instead of 200.6% for uh, complete castle mapping, which you get on the PlayStation version, there's a different number if you complete all the map on the Saturn version. And if you come up with that number, you get Castlevania Chronicles. There you go. Now, now, how will you how will you be choosing the uh, winner from from those uh, responses? Is it the first person who gives you the correct answer, or how are you going to do that? First come, first served. I say. First, so the first person to email uh, Mike with the correct answer. Can you give us that email address again? Albert Odyssey at Hotmail. There you go, um, and that's all one word. Albert Odyssey, no periods or anything. Correct. Okay. So uh, give Mike the uh, correct answer and uh, and um, make sure that when you're uh, – well, eh, we'll go ahead and say if you get the correct answer, Mike will will email you back, let you know you're the winner. And then at that point, you can mail him the address and uh, we will quickly and swiftly, when we get around to it, mail out your copy of Castlevania Chronicles for but the PSP. <laughs> but don't bother because I've already sent the email. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Tom has no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Do bother. <laughs> oh shoot! Well, um, this has been a this has been a great a little round table. I really enjoyed this. Did you guys enjoy this? I did. Yeah, yeah it was definitely a oh, good time. I have a question for Mike. Uh oh. Um, when are you going to do an import corner on what's that game you were telling me about with like you know the pres you fight presidents and something with a gorilla? <laughs> Okay, that one will be special. That one I will have to take a long time over just to go over the sheer madness of it. So, What game is that? That would be Tengai Makyo 4, a.k.a. Far East of Eden. And yeah. we will save that for a special day. Yeah, that's gonna, <laughs> you definitely want to listen for that because this game is like, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it is easily the most insane RPG I have ever heard of or seen. Well, speaking of crazy and insane, um, we have a slightly crazy, not-so-insane RPG that we'll be talking about next week, a little game called Earthbound. So make sure that you come back to RP Gamer um, after you listen to this one. Make sure you come back to RP Gamer in a couple of weeks. Uh, We'll be doing another RPG backtrack uh, called Bound on Pickup, and we'll be talking about Earthbound. 
Yep, and I will have a very, very appropriate import to discuss, one Mother 3. <clears throat> Woohoo! And I think oh. uh, you're, you're joining us for that one too, aren't you, Tom? Um, it's possible. Um, I guess I'll have to play Mother 3, though, because uh, I don't want it to be spoiled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you well, can just put Mike way. on You can put Mike on mute when he talks so he doesn't spoil it all for you. <laughs> That's true. I could leave. There you go. Just, just take the headphones off or something. So, well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been uh, an awesome experience, and thank you all for listening. Again, leave your, your comments, your questions, and whatnot. Uh, you can write those on the board, or uh, feel free to write Mike, because I don't actually check my email. So, <laughs> we'll catch you back here in a couple weeks. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Bye.